Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com/thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Eli McVeigh. He is research editor at Marijuana Business Daily. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis space, uh, kind of coming into 2020, about what's going on now that we're kind of entering this COVID period. A lot of forces at play, obviously, in the general economy. But we're going to talk a little bit about how this is beginning to play out in cannabis, what is likely or potentially going to happen in terms of the big topics or the big trends, big factors for cannabis and the rest of 2020 as we kind of sort through this fascinating topic. I, I think I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I think there was a lot of things that were kind of on the plate at the beginning of the year. I'm curious to see what happens as people move through this. I think most people realize the cannabis industry is, is going to be affected just like everything else. Cannabis is one of the industries that seems to be remaining open during this, or at least in some places. So the cannabis industry continues to be a business, but we'll see how it's impacted. With that, Eli, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So why don't we just get a little bit of background on you first, talk about 
the work that you do at Marijuana Business Daily, how you got involved in cannabis, uh, and then we can kind of talk about some of these the trends for 2020, and we can talk about what's going on with uh, COVID-19 and kind of the impacts it's having on the industry. So give us the backstory. How did you get into cannabis and begin working with Marijuana Business Daily? So I worked at Nielsen prior uh, about 2014 to 2016. I saw something on LinkedIn that the founders of Leafly were exiting and they wanted to start the Nielsen of Cannabis. I reached out to them. You know, I did some contract work with them just to kind of help them uh, set up their POS tracking platform. Got connected with them. Um, and then once a job opening uh, popped up at Marijuana Business Daily, I was able to um, I just knew the right people and I was able to enter the industry officially. That's great. And as research editor, what are you primarily focused on? What's what's your kind of role there in the organization? Yeah, uh, just kind of leading all of our research initiatives. So we have a couple of big annual reports, one about the you know, traditional marijuana industry. We've got one about the hemp and CBD industry and then putting out um, smaller research reports out the year that are usually a little more focused in their top. So um, data and research is really how I would sum that up. Got it. And I guess before all of this uh, COVID-19 coronavirus sort of hit and started really impacting the industry here, what did you see as being the kind of the big topic for 2020 or the the big trends or things that people were focused on in the industry for 2020? I think we were going to get a lot more action at the state level on adult use cannabis legalization. Illinois really kind of uh, set the tone last year, the first state to legalize via the legislature. We had momentum going into New York. New Jersey, that have been talking Pennsylvania, Connecticut, establishing a commercial market in Vermont, some southern states legalizing medical cannabis. I think it remains to be seen what will happen, but I think the momentum certainly has slowed. I think this was shaping up to be a big year for state legalization efforts. We also had movement at the federal level on things like banking reform, talks of descheduling cannabis. Again, I don't know if those things would have happened in an election year, but there was a tension on that. And I think that, you know, we're just in a different world now than we were just three weeks ago. Yeah. What do you think that what happened, I guess, in 2019 or what were the trends that kind of played out in 2019 that really pushed this? Is this this public opinion? Is this, you know, once we get enough momentum with a couple of states, you know, other states just have no choice but to address this issue? I mean, how did you kind of explain or or what was kind of the, the, the series of events that led up to, you know, 2020 being originally kind of geared up to be a big state by state movement, potential federal movement? How did you kind of see this playing out? Nineteen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's a mix of that. It's public opinion. You know, lawmakers are generally several years behind public opinion. Certainly, being here in Denver, it seems like you know marijuana is kind of a non-issue. Now, yeah. certainly, that's not the case in every part of the U.S. But if you look at any sort of public opinion poll. Uh, marijuana legalization holds very well. So I think there is some of that neighboring state phenomenon. You know, New Jersey and New York are prime examples of that. Yeah. New Jersey has been moving that way for a couple of years now. And what our reporting has said that New York is really feeling that pressure. They want to establish a legalization framework of kind of alongside New Jersey and all those other northeastern states. So I think there's a little bit of that. I don't think you can point to a single cannabis industry, an adult use cannabis industry that's really been a failure. Now, certainly, I think if you look at California, there's things that, you know, there's major problems and yeah. there are smaller problems in other markets. But generally speaking, um, this kind of experiment of recreational cannabis legalization has been positive. And so I, I think it's kind of a mixture of all of that. I mean, we're kind of seeing that culminate in 2020. And that's why I thought we were going to get a, a lot more, uh, a lot more movement on legalization and just more federal action. And again, we still could see this. It's tough to sell what the future holds for us. But again, it, yeah, the, the whole COVID-19 has really changed the change the landscape quite a bit. Yeah. I'm curious in, in 19, what what did you see as being the big political kind of hangups or issues or, or why, you know, why, why did some of the
of these states, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the New York, New Jersey area, so maybe I have a little more insight on that. But I guess as you look at the different states that have been kind of grappling with legislation, with legalization process, are there common kind of issues or common things that legislators kind of get hung up on in terms of uh, being able to pass legislation or define regulations? Or what's what have you noticed as as you kind of looked across right. the states? I, banking is always an issue where, you know, there's there's workarounds and some, I, I don't know if I'll call them banking solutions, but there's right. ways to, to kind of navigate around that. But I think really just in the last uh, year or two, social equity in the cannabis industry has been a big sticking point. I mean, right there in New York, that was yeah. a big issue the last time that adult use legalization uh, was on, on the table. So I would say really social equity in the cannabis industry, that is a tricky issue. I don't think anybody has figured it out. I think that if you're going to pass something, certainly through the legislature, you have to have a social equity component. That's yeah. a big sticking point. How do you tax it? What's the right tax level? I, I, there is some kind of, there are blueprints in other states for how you kind of navigate around banking, where kind of how you should tax businesses, maybe how you license and regulate them. There are some blueprints in other states, but man, social equity, there is not a good template for that. I don't think any state has figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen various states try different things, but yet certainly no perfect solution, probably even no good solution right now. And, you know, unfortunately something that does need to get addressed, you know, if any state's going to do it and certainly at a federal level as well. I guess any insights on the federal side? I mean, before we hit this COVID stuff, what was your uh, bet on uh, the likelihood of something getting passed in 2020? Uh, again, I think smaller things, relatively smaller things like banking reform, I thought that was something that could have made it through. You had uh, yeah. the Senate Banking Committee chair was coming around to the idea of moving like something like that on through the Senate. So that wouldn't be kind of a monumental shift in the landscape when you zoom out, but that would have been a, a kind of a game changer for a lot of cannabis businesses. And I think that we could have, that is something that may have gotten through um, in 2020 that, you know, there's just not going to be, you know, there's the oxygen has really been sucked out of the room on that. So yeah. I think banking reform is something we're looking at. There had been some other measures around, like I said, descheduling cannabis. Again, I think that wasn't a, really a reality for yeah. 2020. So yeah, banking reform is really what I was looking for um, and what I thought had a, a legitimate shot to move through the House and the Senate this year. Yeah. Okay, good. So to let our audience know, we're recording this, uh, we're April 7th, so kind of beginning of April here. And so we're, I guess we're in the thick of coronavirus, COVID-19, Hopefully I'm out of the New York area. Eli's in Denver. Um, I know it's affecting different parts of the country differently. In New York, we're, we're hoping that we're coming close to some kind of peak in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I think at this point, we're, uh, the general recommendation is we're in lockdown until th- at least through the end of April. I think most of the, most of the CEOs and companies that I advise and work with uh, were you know, having plans at least through the end of May, potentially even through June, you know, at least contingency plans for if we're in that situation. But So we're in this. Uh, we've got people who are now, I think the most of the country at this point is in some kind of work from home mode, limited ability to travel, limited ability to congregate, socialize, etc. It's obviously having huge impacts on all sorts of businesses. What I know or what I recall right now is that many states have declared or have put cannabis or dispensaries on quote unquote essential businesses. So they're allowing them to stay open as a business. But obviously different states have different situations. Different people have different kind of logistical situations around 
on that. I know some states have uh, delivery capabilities, sometimes do not. Some of those are maintaining in place, some of those are not maintaining in place. So, uh, you know, all this impact on cannabis industry in terms of the retail side, obviously, you know, there's going to be huge impacts or there are and will be huge impacts on the, you know, cultivation and processing side. Let's talk a little bit about our kind of what we see already and what we can kind of likely anticipate in terms of how these kind of restrictions and kind of impact on the economy and both direct and indirect impacts that that coronavirus and, and COVID-19 are going to have on the cannabis industry. I guess, where, do you, where are the immediate impacts that you see in cannabis? Where do you, where do you see cannabis still kind of working and, and you know, industries or, or local and state markets still operating? And where do you see them kind of falling apart at this point? Yeah, for, like you said just a minute ago, most cannabis industries, state cannabis industries have classified cannabis businesses as essential. I think the real notable exception to that is in Massachusetts, where recreational businesses were first to close kind of just a few weeks ago, uh, latter half of March. So sales are still happening. All right. But when you look at March sales figures, for example, adult use markets, those top line state level sales figures are down for March in Colorado and in Nevada. That's the first time that's ever happened where monthly sales in you know one month are lower than the same month in the prior year. So and when you dig in a little further, you can see that it was really that back half of March where you know sales were down in Colorado over 20 percent compared to the latter half of March in 2019. So we're seeing top line sales figures diminish. Uh, really, Colorado, Nevada, those are uh, very notable. California is still growing. Sales are still growing over last year, but not really, not nearly to the same rate. That's still yeah. a very, that market is still growing. So a lot of, it's just not growing as fast as yeah. it was. So these are markets that they've not restricted cannabis dispensaries from hours and everything. Basically, they've kept the, mm-hmm. the dispensaries open, but the, the suspicion here or the, the implication is that because of the lockdown, limited travel, people are just not visiting dispensaries right now. Yeah, they're allowing them to stay open. Some with caveats, again, vary state by state. You know, certain states are saying, hey, it's uh, delivery only, like they're in, okay. in Nevada, recreational uh, delivery only there. You know, some states are allowing folks to go into the store, keeping that six feet distance, mm-hmm. uh, minimizing the number of people in the store. Some are allowing just curbside pickup. It really varies. But again, they're allowed to stay open. You know, the, it varies a lot on location, right? So here in, here in Denver, my dispensary, you know, I've got a dispensary six blocks from me, four blocks from me, pretty close. You know, when I drive by there the other day, I can see that there's people in there. It looks about like business as usual. But in the mountain towns, Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, there's no tourism. Those are stores there. Some are still operating with the skeleton crew. Others have closed altogether. So it does kind of vary, you know, depending on where you are. Retailers that I've talked to in urban areas like Denver are saying traffic's down, but order size is up, right? So people are coming in fewer times a week, uh, but they're purchasing more. Yeah. But when you look at kind of this top line revenue figures, they're saying, yeah, maybe some of them are down a little bit. Some are about even, but yeah, they're just seeing a shift in how people are purchasing. You know, we've also seen sales of pre-rolls have really taken a hit in the last couple of weeks since coronavirus pandemic started to ramp up. We've seen edibles, beverages, those kinds of things uh, become more popular, garner more sales in the last couple of weeks. And implying that people are worried about anything that they're going to consume via their lungs because of the nature of coronavirus and their focus more on edibles? I actually don't know if that's the case because I I think it may be, you know, I'm kind of speculating here, but if you look at flower sales and vape sales, those actually have, depending on the state, they've either gone up or they're about the same. So those are still inhalables. My guess is, you know, pre-rolls are kind of, that's a more social consumption experience. Um, And, you know, you've got, I mean, you've got people at home all day with their kids. I'm assuming that. (laughs) No, they're, they're like not gonna, yeah, they're not going to run around with a blunt in their hand exactly. you know, trying to homeschool. 
Yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. I would hope not, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so you see that manifest in the sales figures. Edibles up, beverages up, kind of these more discrete consumption mechanisms, vaporizers up. So there is, I'm certain there are some consumers that are concerned about what they're putting in their lungs, but I think it's really a function of consuming in isolation and in circumstances where you are kind of cooped up in the house with family members for uh, weeks, yeah. potentially months on end. So, but in general, if we zoom out just a little bit in terms of this isn't good for the cannabis industry, right? Anything yeah. that's going to affect the amount of money that people have to, is, to spend on non-essentials is not good. But we are seeing, we're heading into a little bit of a downturn, just like the broader U.S. economy. But, yeah. you know, sales of alcohol, prescription medications, kind of related consumables have proven resilient in times of recession. So I think we are going to see the cannabis industry come out of this with maybe some, a few cuts and some bruises, but relatively unscathed. But there is going to be really a period of adjustment here. And we are going to see some cannabis companies you know, not be able to make it out of this. But on the whole, I think that it's going to be healthy and we are going to, like I said, get out of this relatively unscathed. Yeah. So a couple of interesting kind of ideas that I think came up there. One is this idea because because of the travel implications, right? So people are no longer traveling, you know, tourism is down. That is certainly hitting any geography or any dispensary that's primary focused on uh, selling to tourists. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned all the mountain towns in Colorado. So I would imagine that any cannabis market, which is primarily or heavily dependent on tourism, I mean, even I would imagine even like the Las Vegas markets and things like that, where, you know, they're mm-hmm. primary selling to people from coming out of town are going to be hit in a non-trivial way. Yeah. I think the other one around, uh, you know, given the new kind of social situations we're in, locked at home with families, with children, things like that, the format, you know, the w- what people are consuming is likely going to change at least for the lockdown period, mm-hmm. you know, most likely towards edibles, most likely towards tinctures, you know, things that uh, are going to be, you know, discreetly consumed that are not going to be, you know, smoked, either viewable or or cause a uh, constrained uh, two-bedroom apartment <laughs> to be full of smoke right. uh, with my family. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of the, the general economic impact as people are feeling the economic pinch. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm curious if you, if you think alcohol, things like that, I imagine that most people go from getting kind of top shelf liquors mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that to more economical choices around that stuff. Do you expect or, or could you anticipate that there's some shift in the price points or kind of the value are people you know potentially not going to be going for the premium brands as much and more for the economic brands uh, on this stuff yeah I I think you're exactly right we looked back at some old uh, Nielsen data uh, just a couple weeks ago trying to look at how this kind of played out in the Bev Al sector back in housing crisis and and kind of exactly what you said you you saw movement from those kind of top tier premium brands into the more you know lower price tiers more value price tier brands I do expect that's what we're going to see in cannabis you know if you think about Flour, I think, is a prime example. Uh, even a consumer, you know, somebody that consumes two, three, four, five, six times a week, every day, whatever it is, uh-huh. I, I think they'd be hard pressed to tell you what the difference between mid tier, upper mid tier, high tier cannabis is. I really don't think that people are really that knowledgeable uh, about cannabis flour, certainly. Yeah. So when you ask them to spend, you know, would they rather spend 35 on an eighth or 20 on an eighth in a time of economic distress? I think they're going to go for the, the value tier every time. Yeah. So, yes, I, I, I think we're definitely 
definitely going to see movement towards um, some more value tier, low price tier categories and products. And if you look at the branded landscape right now as it is, I think it's oversaturated in those premium tier products. It seems like, you know, every celebrity has a strain or brand of, of cannabis. And like, I just don't think the market was there in the first place to sustain that. And I think we will see some yeah. shakeout now that times are tough. Yeah, there'll be some calling of the herd on, on the next couple months mm-hmm. in terms of certainly on the premium side. Do you think yeah. there are product opportunities on the kind of more value side? Do you think that that uh, cannabis brands are going to sort of sense this and, and, and quickly pivot and say, hey, look, we need to come out with a, a much more uh, reasonably priced, mid-tier priced, you know, high quality for the for the range or for the price point and, and come out with new products around this? I would think so. It's tough to tell how quick they're going to be able to pivot. You know, everybody, you know, everybody's work situation is different. Things just seem like they move slower now that everybody's working from home and you won't have any of those, um, you know, face-to-face interactions. But yeah, we are seeing like retailers, for example, are doing, you know, they're merchandising their products and engaging in sales to encourage kind of the stock up behavior that people are already engaging in. So I do think that brands and producers will understand that there's an opportunity to serve a portion of the customer base that maybe is underserved right now with the current options that exist in retail dispensaries. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Let's talk about some of the new market. I mean, so, you know, one of the big trends or the big things that, you know, the cannabis industry has been driven by or, or certainly been anticipating is, you know, new entrants, you know, people that have not been cannabis users entering the market, uh, you know, lots of different sort of interesting segments that people have been talking about, you know, some of the older population, people in sports, you know, soccer moms. I mean, there's, you know, the part of the market growth here is, you know, adopting, you know, new people, people adopting cannabis or new new adopters in cannabis. How do you see that playing out? Do you think this is going to chill that? Is that potentially it could, it could accelerate it? You know, if, pe- if certain people are seeing, hey, I, you know, I'm kind of stressed out. I'm dealing with all this stuff. You know, maybe cannabis is a way to address some of these things. I mean, just what's your take on how this is potentially going to impact some of the new market growth in, in cannabis? That's an interesting question. And I, boy, that's tough to predict, right? I think certainly people are going to do things that they may not normally do if they've been cooped up in the house for a month, two months on end. You know, I, I think that maybe they would be more willing to try something like cannabis. That's my gut telling me. I really don't know how that's going to impact somebody that was maybe cannabis curious, right? Yeah. That's a really interesting question. I wonder if there's anything I can keep my eye on the data that might suggest we are seeing new market entrants. Because I think over the long term, that's where the growth in the cannabis industry comes from. Yeah, absolutely. But I've always maintained, though, that I, I think certainly in markets that are two, three, four years old, a lot of that you're really getting people that are coming in from the illicit market. I, yeah. I think that's where a lot of your growth is coming from. And, you know, we're seeing Gen Zers are aging into cannabis right now. Yeah, I think exactly. the oldest Gen Zer is 23. Consumption rates among uh, that younger generation are significantly higher than millennials and Xers and boomers. So I think we get a lot of growth coming from just younger consumers entering the industry. Yeah. But that's, yeah, like you said, to your question, I don't have a great answer for you. Uh, I'll be curious to see how that shapes up. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, I'm, <laughs> I've gotten calls from lots of friends who have been like, hey, <laughs> now's the time. I want to play around with this. Where can I get some? And so I think there is, yeah. there's potentially a bump or there's a there's going to be this, hey, everyone's cooped up. You know, people are both kind of combination of bored and kind of stressed out and I'm thinking, hey, maybe this is the time to kind of try this. And then kind of the yeah. future as, you know, as we come out of the restrictions to the extent that people are dealing with, you know, just general anxiety or economic challenges and they decide that this is this is going to be a tool that they use to help manage right. some of those things. I'd be I curious. think, I wonder if you looked at, uh, I, I wonder if you would look at loyalty new loyalty customers and dispensaries you might be able to find something there and that's something to check out because i really don't think people are shopping around anymore for cannabis right they're probably going to the store that's closest to them look at new customers entering to stores yeah i wonder if we'd see some effect like that that's uh yeah really interesting question yeah
I'd be curious to see how that one plays out because I think there is that is certainly going to be a, a force that's playing out in the next uh, couple months, and then as we go kind of go through recovery, as people are on that side. In, in terms of we talked about the brands, we talked about some of the products. Any other kind of shifts that you can envision in either the products or how they're packaged or how they're sold? I'm just kind of thinking of of how the mm. consumer experience is going to get shaped given the situation we're going through. Any thoughts on that? I mean, online ordering and express pickup were you know they existed prior to COVID, but you know now that's a significant, if not all, portion of a retailer's business is coming from that you know order online, you know, either pick up in store through some sort of express checkout or curbside mechanism. I think that that it's hard for me to imagine that going away, right? I, I think that yeah. the effects of the coronavirus are really going to linger, um, and, and even in the absence of a coronavirus pandemic, I, I think that that just makes the experience easier on the consumer. So I, I think that you know that's really forced retailers to figure that out. A lot of them did not have some sort of online ordering, express pickup, in-store, curbside delivery before this. Uh, a lot more do now, and I think that that's not going to go away, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of thinking about just like in Colorado here, for example, we kind of have like deli-style flour, right? So if you want, uh, let's say you wanted an eighth of Blue Dream, you know, maybe the store has one or two kind of just glass mason jars of Blue Dream, and then they would, you'd say you, you want yeah. that, they'd open it up, you get to smell it, examine it. It's just a kind of a more physical experience. Again, that seems almost unimaginable in this new era we live in, right? Yeah. I think you might be seeing more cannabis flour might be coming more prepackaged. That's already happening. That already is the case in Washington. Yeah. Illinois is already doing prepackaged flour. I think you might build a, I, I think that might persist in this coronavirus world we're in now. And that's really kind of what comes to mind in terms of the consumer let's, experience. Let's talk about those two. Let's talk about those two because I think there's, for, for the delivery stuff, I'm kind of curious what your take is on, I mean, clearly there's a short term, right? Like, you know, anyone that's mm-hmm. still trying to do business has to move to delivery, right? Like, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and anything, even curbside is somewhat problematic. Anything that's in store, I think is going to be tough. So delivery is going to be, uh, you know, the next couple months is going to be huge. Do you think this is going to kind of accelerate what you saw as kind of a natural progression towards delivery models away from retail? Or do you think this is just going to shift the industry where people are going to be just focused on delivery now that they're used to it? It's just going to establish a new pattern for folks. I understand the short term. I'm kind of curious if you think that that's going to stick, if if that is going to create a little bit of a seismic shift in the industry here where people are going to get used to delivery. So that's going to be where the industry goes at this point. Or do you think it's going to swing back once people, since we don't have the restrictions and and people are now going, you know, are able to go in dispensaries without health concerns? Yeah. So I really, uh, so in terms of markets that have added delivery, it tends to be on the medical side, right? So here in Colorado, they've said, hey, if you're medical, you can, you can engage in delivery service. Not so on the recreational side. The addition of delivery really has been in medical markets. Okay. So in recreational markets, we're seeing it, it is mandating kind of that curbside pickup. I mean, in California, where delivery already existed and was a big component of the industry, uh, you know, it's really experienced a lot of growth here in the last few weeks. I don't know if we'll witness kind of a, like you said, a seismic shift as delivery. It, will it stick? I don't know. Right now, we're seeing a lot of promotions, right? Zero dollar yeah. delivery fee, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, in the absence of this kind of pandemic, you know, I think if a consumer goes online and, you know, they get to the checkout and they see that it's going to be 75 minutes and it's going to be a $10 surcharge, is that really going to be as palatable to them? You know, cons- a lot of cannabis consumers are already price sensitive, but 
So I, I think you will see, like in California, I think you'll see more people using delivery post-crisis than you saw pre-crisis. But I think physical retail will still continue to be the dominant form of cannabis retail. Yeah. And so then you also mentioned this, uh, you know, what's happening in flour and kind of going from a sort of deli style to, to pre-packaged. I mean, do you think this is going to drive kind of innovation in terms of packaging, you know, technology, packaging products, you know, different ways of being able to obviously package and protect and keep flour in its best form through the process? I mean, I, I, I'm kind of thinking mm. through the strategic implications of this. I don't know if you've seen anything in terms of either trends or technologies that have been coming out there or, or what you know already is going to have to happen in the production kind of distribution process, uh, supply chain process to be able to do packaged flour or how, I guess you have any insights or thoughts on how that may play out? I think in the absence of mandates requiring people to sell prepackaged flour, I don't think we'll see it. All right. I, so like in Colorado, if it's if folks are allowed to sell deli style, I think that's the way it's going to, you know, I don't think that's going to go away because there's just so many logistical hurdles that, you know, all of a sudden packaging falls 100% on the on the cultivator yeah. or the processor before it comes to the retailer. So it would be, that would be a big shakeup to just how business is done as usual. So I don't know if we will see any kind of uh, big shifts when it comes to packaging products. Really, I think the it's just going to be that consumer experience in retail. You know, you see it in even commercials for Pizza Hut and Domino's and whatever it is that kind of contactless delivery or contactless pickup. I think that's really where we're going to see those changes. I don't know how much we're going to see on the kind of packaging side. You know, early on in January when this was really the coronavirus was really it was really playing out kind of solely in China. We were seeing supply chain disruptions, vape cartridges, just general kind of packaging materials, and we saw some moves towards domestic suppliers. But again, I, I don't think that that's going to stick, right? I think that low cost packaging is always going to, that's going to be the preferred yeah. method of delivery for retailers and manufacturers. Yeah. Pricing is going to win ultimately once they once yeah. they have the capability of, of shipping and, and really kind of getting the supply chains back up. Any other shifts that exactly. you see in the, kind of, if you look kind of down the supply chain, down the grow chain in terms of processors and cultivators, anything else that you're kind of seeing or anticipating might impact or, or might have to shift in the coming months and quarters for those folks as we kind of work through the COVID issues? Not off the top of my head, not anything that we haven't touched on already. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's just, it's tough to see how this plays out. But <laughs> Predicting the future. <laughs> yeah, 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 boy. Yeah. So no, outside of what we talked about, there's nothing that comes to my mind. All right, good. Uh, Eli, this has been a pleasure and, and thank you so much for taking the time. We, I think we covered some really good topics here. I know a lot of this is kind of predicting the future, so I appreciate you taking a little bit of a stretch and kind of figuring out how this is going to play out. I look forward to kind of keeping in touch with you and, and seeing how things actually do play out and hopefully we can do kind of more episodes as we get um, more data and more insights. But I appreciate it. This is fun. If people have uh, yeah. questions or want to find out more about you, Marijuana Business Daily, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so um, you know, I've I've always got something going up on marijuana business daily so just mjbizdaily.com you know folks want to get in touch with me directly my email is eli e-l-i-m at mjbizdaily.com great i'll make sure that the links are in the show notes again this was great thank you so much for taking the time i appreciate you um lending us your knowledge and expertise and insight in the industry um with some really helpful stuff so thank you for doing that today awesome appreciate it thanks for having me You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content. 
visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.